This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, August 6th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. Biden gets tough with GOP governors on COVID. Plus, lab-grown salmon coming to a sushi bar near you. But first, today's one big thing, how the opioid crisis is fueling HIV outbreaks in West Virginia and beyond. One of our listeners in West Virginia, Lucas from Charleston, texted me recently about a local outbreak of HIV in his town. Earlier this year, the CDC called this outbreak in Kanawha County, West Virginia, the most concerning HIV outbreak in the entire U.S. associated with injection drug use. This week, the CDC issued a report on how to manage this outbreak, but their recommendations are almost impossible to implement because of current local laws. Lucas suggested we speak with Mountain State Spotlight's public health reporter, Lauren Peace, who's been covering what's been happening in West Virginia. So we called her up. Hi, Lauren. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So what is the CDC recommending in their report that they put out this week? They were called into town earlier this summer to address the outbreak in Charleston in West Virginia's capital city, where 72 new cases of HIV linked to injection drug use have been identified. To put that in perspective, a city of Charleston size and a a county the size of Kanawha in a typical year in the U.S. would have fewer than one new cases of HIV linked to injection drug use. One of the number one recommendations um, that came in this report was to increase access to sterile needles for people who inject drugs. But because of the legislation that was passed, that's not currently an option. Lauren, can you tell us when this HIV outbreak first started? So it's actually kind of the result of a closure of a harm reduction program, which offered clean needle services or syringe access services to people who inject drugs between 2015 and 2018. So the harm reduction program run by the health department in Charleston um, became highly politicized during a race for city mayor in 2018. There was a lot of misinformation about the program at the time that it was operating and it ultimately closed. Without access to sterile syringes, we started to see cases of HIV linked to injection drug use rise. What you're saying is that the opioid crisis and the lack of needle exchange has now led to this HIV outbreak. Absolutely. These programs are also a really major provider of naloxone, um, which is an overdose reversal medication. During this last year, because of the pandemic, we've seen overdose deaths surge. 2020 was actually the most deadly year for overdoses in West Virginia. And is this happening in other cities across the U.S.? Yeah. Not long after Charleston City Council passed its ordinance restricting these programs, Atlantic City lawmakers actually voted to shut down their syringe service program, as did Scott County, Indiana. And Scott County, Indiana was ground zero for HIV outbreaks linked to injection drug use in 2015. The response to that outbreak at the time was to increase access to sterile needles. And six years later, they're backtracking. There's some irony in the middle of a pandemic, right? We, over the past year, have 
seen the importance of taking preventative measures to prevent the spread of of harmful and dangerous and costly disease. And as stigma um, results in the closure of programs that epidemiologists have been advocating for for years, we're going to see our neighbors get really sick when they don't have to. Lauren Peace is a public health reporter at the nonprofit civic news organization in West Virginia, the Mountain State Spotlight. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you have a local story you think the whole country needs to know about, you can text me at 202-918-4893. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the biggest political stories of the week with Margaret Taleb. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. And it's Friday, which means we have some of the biggest political stories of the week for you with none other than Margaret Taleb. Hey, Margaret. Hey, Nyla. Let's start with Joe Biden facing off with different GOP governors on COVID. This has been going on for a while, but the rhetoric really ratched up between Florida Governor DeSantis and President Biden this week. Is it going to make any difference? I think the numbers are are part of what's going to make the difference, the rise in the cases. And the other thing that's going to make the difference are individual businesses, where we're beginning to see employers impose these mandates. But Biden's tough talk message is not just about trying to appeal to donors or pregame a 2024 presidential race. It's also really about getting results in the face of a mountain crisis. On the other side of Pennsylvania Avenue, Congress, in particular the Senate, has been very busy on infrastructure. What's the latest with that? The Senate is now poised to move forward with final passage on this $1.2 trillion bipartisan plan that we've been talking about for so many weeks. When that happens, it will be a huge victory for Democrats and for President Biden. But we all know that this hits a buzzsaw in the House almost immediately and almost certainly that progressives will attack it and that if Democrats need to act unilaterally to save it, they're poised to do so. Speaking of progressives, Margaret, at the beginning of the week, we were talking about a rare rift in the Democratic Party with President Biden over the eviction moratorium. The Biden administration said very pointedly that they could not find a legal way to delay it, but then they did. It's really interesting. I think the way we've often thought about the progressives in democratic politics is that they're great at raising money, they're great at inspiring the base, but they're not as good at getting things done. And what we saw this week is a real reversal of of that notion where we saw progressives continue to lose in some democratic primaries. But really, to absolutely get stuff done from a policy perspective, namely Cori Bush, who, you know, once upon a time was homeless and who mounted this very successful, galvanizing sort of national protest on the steps of the Capitol, right, camping out. We saw the president himself uh, say, let's pull together legal experts, figure out another way. It was a real change of heart that was absolutely prompted by pressure from Democratic progressives. Axios' managing editor of politics, Margaret Taleb. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks so much. 
As someone who doesn't eat red meat, I have become a big fan of the Impossible Burger and Beyond Sausages, which is why I wanted to talk to Axios' future correspondent, Brian Walsh, about his latest story on startups that are getting close to selling fish grown in lab-like facilities. Brian, how does this work? So essentially, you take fish cells, in this case from a salmon fish, and you're able to sort of grow it in these, as you said, lab-like facilities and in tanks directing these cells to grow into fat tissue, into muscle tissue, into everything that goes into essentially a fish fillet. It looks like a block of a fish fillet, a block of salmon fillet. You just produce the part of the fish that you actually want. How did it taste? It tasted really well. Like I thought it tasted like, I would say like a B plus sushi dinner, like not the best sushi I've ever had, but a lot better than sort of your standard neighborhood takeout. And it's quite remarkable, I have to say. And, and there's something really special about seafood here because we are having a real overfishing problem. So if we can shift some of that production from farms and wild-caught fish to something that can be made within a facility that can be cultivated, that's not just a, an improvement for the environment, but that's a real conservation win as well. Could we see this in supermarkets in the near future? It's going to take a little time both to get the price down. At this point, it's still much more expensive than either wildcut or farm fish. And the FDA still has to approve it fully for commercial consumption. But actually, this company, Wildtype, if you're in San Francisco, they're going to be opening up a sushi bar in their facility where they actually grow it. They're working with sushi chefs in San Francisco, elsewhere in the U.S., to kind of introduce consumers to this new sort of technology. Axios is Brian Walsh, one of the authors of the What's Next newsletter and our future correspondent. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. That's all for this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Alexandra Boti, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, and Sabina Singani. Our sound engineer is Alex Sugiara. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and Sarah Kehlani Gu is our executive editor. As always, special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. I'm Nyla Boudou. Have a great weekend. Thank you.